All right, I am Jay Tomlin at the University of North Texas, lecturer in history, and I am here with assistant professor of history, Thomas Lecoq from Grandview, Grandview University. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm great, Jay. How are you doing? Good to be talking to you again, man. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. All right, so we're here to talk about this article that you wrote as a rebuttal in foreign policy to a kind of controversial hot take on history from a fellow academic of ours. I wonder if you could tell us more about it. Yes, uh, so the piece is called How Bad History Feeds Far-Right Fantasies. Uh, and it's in the most immediate sense a rebuttal of a piece that uh, Jeffrey Finn Paul wrote in The Spectator called The Myth of the Stolen Country. Uh, that's a long form uh, defense against the idea that European settlers are in any way to blame for the death of Native Americans. Um, I wish it were you know, a singular piece, but this is after seeing things in the National Review, after two years of attacks on the 1619 project, um, after you know Columbus Day was yesterday, and so a huge number of hot takes, if you will, on that. Mm. Um, the the large-scale notion that nothing European settlers and colonizers did was actually wrong, and all of the deaths that occurred are incidental, innocent collateral damage. And, and we well know as historians that's nonsense, but they gain a lot of traction in the field as part of a kind of project of white innocence uh, that has much more to do with present ideological concerns than actual history. Yes, and to be fair, that conversation has moved on, but ever so slightly since, the, what, the 1950s or 60s with the, uh, the advent of the Cold War histories that glorified the West. Um, I wonder if you could think of more examples like this, though, uh, from your own area of study where we see this being the case? Well, so one of the big issues with the medieval studies right now is the two-pronged aspect of white nationalist groups in the United States and Europe drawing on medieval imagery and medieval ideology to push their contemporary notions. Um, the, the march in Charlottesville, a number of people were using kind of neo-medieval insignia, um, the, the you know horrific mass murders like the Christchurch mosque shootings, the, uh, the murderers, weapon was covered in these kind of neo-medieval slogans. And so when people bring this up within medieval studies, there then becomes pushback of, you know, is medieval studies actually an arena for political thought or should we ignore these issues? Uh, and I think we know that, you know, history is about interpretation and those interpretations vary greatly over time and over disciplines and between individuals. Um, but that is a very political project. And so when people begin misusing the past, there actually is an impetus to push back against bad ideological foundations that underpin arguments that have real-world consequences. Absolutely. Uh, and the same can be said of my area of study, uh, looking at early American religion and the power of fear to reshape identity mm. uh, in these kind of scenarios. You, you see this all the time. And of course, my area of inquiry, uh, the American founding, is such a politically fraught arena for these kind of conversations. <laughs> Even oh, now, yes. right, as you know, anytime you see a, a politician get up to talk. But even that, even that gesture of trying not to take um, documents from a very politicized past at face value seems to be a skill necessary to remind people of these days. Uh, and it's one of the groundings of history as an academic discipline. I mean, it, it is about learning to critically read and think your way through documents to compare different versions to be able to understand you know, the subtext and the context and what people really mean and what people are omitting. Uh, I mean, a skill that's valuable well beyond studying the past, about studying the president, about studying other people and their kind of ideas. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think 
you know, if we, if we try to, as we come sometimes do with our students, try to reduce a complex process down to a kind of essentialist uh, point or a kind of elemental beginning, uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves if this era that we're living through doesn't correspond to a kind of new romanticism or a new kind of romantic mm -hmm. era where we see this pushback against empiricism, this suspicion uh, of an evidence-based order of things. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think that's a huge part of the problem. It's one thing to come at problems and disagree on the interpretation of data. But what we're seeing is the jettisoning of data, of research, of actually doing the work to construct a framework for arguments in favor of allowing ideology to fill in all of those gaps. Um, and, you know, things like the Trump administration's new patriotic education proposal is effectively saying that we want to replace fact and history and, you know, reality with propaganda. Uh, right. And there, that's something very pernicious Absolutely. that has to be fought. It's the declaration that simply not having an agenda is an agenda, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that, you know, in this current climate, you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and say, you know, this is a bigger fight than me. But I, you know, I end my article by saying that fighting back against bad history is not merely an academic pursuit, but a moral imperative. And, and I really believe that. I think history has a genuine purpose in this world. Absolutely. And I think that's something worth considering, uh, no matter what field of life you're in at the moment, right? Um, simply standing back, considering your sources of information, considering the perspective or bias that you bring to bear and saying, what if, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. What a great conversation. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye.